this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Evan Yu about Vite, a new dev server and build tool for modern JavaScript projects. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 140. So the reason I want to have you on this show, I think I've had you on like three times or something. Um, yeah. Recently, you uh, kind of have been working on and released early versions of a new, I guess you'd call it like a build tool slash development server uh, called Vite. Yeah. Yep. So what, what's kind funny, of the story? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. I was, I was having trouble finding a good term to describe what it is. Uh, so essentially it's, it's a combination of a dev server plus a build step. So I don't really know how to define that because um, I guess like there are some similar projects in the ecosystem, like um Something. Some projects are just a dev server. Some projects are just a bundler, like Rollup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some projects are more like all-in-one, like Parcel. Um, but Parcel is still like built on top of the concept of, of a bundler. And uh, so Vite, the, the core premise is, uh, I think, bundling uh, should is unnecessary or should be done as little as possible during development. Um, and, and the idea actually came up a long time ago, uh, f- like more than a year ago. So before I started working on Vue 3, actually, uh, I realized, oh, you can use um, style type equals module in modern browsers now. Right? So we have the ability to use native ES module imports directly in the browser. Um, so why are we still trying to use a bundler to analyze these import statements and trying to stitch all the files together? when the browser can just you know, parse this and import them uh, as spec. So then I have the idea, okay, so if you have a local dev server that, when you have a dev server, you can intercept all these HTTP requests to the server, right? So you get to do anything with them. You can, even if you get a request for a non-JS file, you can transform it into a JS file and send it back as a JS file. Yeah. And the browser is fine with that. Right. Um, so that leads me to the idea of what if I can just like compile a view file on the server and send it back as plain JS. So that led to a project called View Dev Server, which is now archived. Uh, but that was essentially the first proof of concept for what it later on turned into Vite. Right. So that was actually a working working version of, of a native ES import based dev server that allows you to just import a view file in the browser and it'll just return the compiled view component directly. Um, And that worked out really well, right? And the big, you know, in terms of development experience, nice thing is it's not not really any different from starting a static file server, right? So instead of having to wait for a build process, a bundling step, like, I guess if you've worked with Webpack, we're kind of used to every time you start a server, it's like waiting for Webpack to compile four or five seconds later, and finally the browser opens, right? But, you know, with this approach, the server almost starts instantly. It's like less yeah. than 200 milliseconds. Because all you're doing is like starting to listen for requests. You're not actually yeah. like doing a bunch of work and then listen right. for requests. Yeah. Right. So there's literally no work to be done when the server starts. And the real work only starts when the browser starts descending the HTTP requests, right? Uh, and a side benefit of that 
approach is uh, we will, so the server will still have to compile these files, right? But um, the, the import graph crawling is done by the browser. The browser analyzes your JavaScript and decides what file to fetch next. So the only thing the server needs to do is to take these requests and decide how to compile them and send them back. Right. So there is still compilation happening, but the compilation is happening on the Node.js side. So you can use any Node.js tooling to do the compilation, which means we can literally support anything. Um, and when you send them back, um, the cool part is the, the server only needs to compile the files that are actually requested. Right? So imagine if you have a huge project of like 5,000 files, uh, but these 5,000 files probably are related to like 20 different screens. Yeah. And now you're working on only one single screen, which only maybe have 100 files. Yep. Then the server only have to compile those 100 files to make the current screen work. Uh, unlike a, a bundler, if you start a bundler in that project, it has to actually crawl all 5,000 files, compile them, yeah, stitch them together. Yeah, because it has no idea what you're going to yeah. use. It just has to yeah. do the safe thing, which is compile every single file. Yeah. Exactly. So that actually is a pretty convincing scaling argument when your project gets big, right? Um, so that's essentially the core premise that led to me to sort of push this a bit further. So in the beginning, I was only focused on uh, compiling view files mm -hmm. because I personally really wanted a dev server that kind of just worked like a simple HTTP server and but allows me to import view files. Uh, but as I worked on it, I realized, hey, this is really nice and uh, it can actually work for any file format, not just few files, right? So I added support for uh, TS, JSX, CSS, post-CSS, CSS models. And turns out it's uh, pretty straightforward to add support for these kind of things once you have a, a right architecture. So internally, the server is a core server and all of these different things are just uh, core middlewares that's injected. So each middleware will look at a request, see if it's, oh, it's a view file, then I'll intercept this one, compile it and send it back. Right? Yeah. Um, That's really cool. So, yeah. What was sort of the motivation, I guess? Like, was it just because you thought this was like an interesting idea and it was like, why isn't anyone pursuing this? Or was it, you know, I'm running into actual pain points with the current setup and I need to come up with something yeah. better? Yeah, so funny thing is, um, the the root, I mean, I had the idea, so I mentioned I had the idea last year, but that was kind of just like a random thought, like, what if we can make this work? Yeah. But I didn't push it further because I felt like at that time, I had no idea how to do hot module replacement, uh, and it didn't support like resolving dependencies from node modules. So it wasn't really anything close to useful for a real project, but... This year, as I was looking at it, I realized, hey, like, this would potentially actually work. And if I can make this work, then I can rebuild, rebuild ViewPress on top of this instead of Webpack, right? So the, the, the core frustration that drove to all this uh, was uh, when I was working on a ViewPress documentation side. And it took, like, five seconds to actually boot up the ViewPress server to, for me to be able to edit a single markdown file. Right. So I was like, I've had enough with this. Uh, like this shouldn't, I shouldn't have to wait for five seconds to just to be able to edit the doc site, right? It's all static files. So, um, and I realized, oh, like Vite's model is like perfect for this. Uh, 
Because like when you are working something on something like a ViewPress site, you're always almost only working on a single page, right? And that single page is just a huge one component. Um, so why would I have to compile all these other pages to be for me to be able to work on this page? So um, that kind of kind of clicked. I was like, <clears throat> okay, like if I can make this work, then I can rebuild ViewPress on top of this. So it's kind of like. It started out as an attempt to rebuild ViewPress, but then it kind of turned into its own thing. I realized, oh, it's more than just uh, for a static site generator. It's actually a fully capable dev setup that can support a lot of use cases. Um, so, and, and one of the also one of the uh, the big motivation was I wanted to get hot module replacement working for the native ES import based approach. Um, I mean, I like the idea that you can have just a static server and just edit, but um, I'm, I guess I'm, I've been spoiled by Vue's hot module replacement, so I can't really live without it. Uh, like using anything that only does full page reload feels like a big regression in terms of development experience. So, um, so yeah, so I, um, so I had this idea in my mind for a while, and one day I was like, hey, like, what if we? Do it this way, we can tackle the hot module replacement problem. So I just went to my computer and started experimenting with it. So I basically pulled an on editor and got hot, hot module replacement working. <laughs> and that was the start of Beat. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff that I think I don't have a super great understanding of in terms of mm -hmm. how how all this stuff even works that would be interesting to get into, I think, including this hot module mm -hmm. reloading stuff. But maybe to mm -hmm. start even before that, um, sure. I think most people have never really played around with using ES modules in the browser, like for mm -hmm. anything at all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that mm -hmm. we hear like, oh yeah, you can do that now, but no one's really, I guess everyone feels like, well, mm -hmm. we can't really use it for real stuff. Like, I guess the feature's mm -hmm. kind of there, but people know yep. about it, but they don't know it intimately because they haven't played around with it. So I'd yep. be curious to like learn a little bit more about that some of the limitations mm -hmm. of it and uh, yep. and stuff like that how it compares to what we're used to when working in sort of like a, a node environment when we're just doing things yep. in sort of it gets built sort of way mm -hmm. um yep. so i guess my first question is with the es modules in the browser is like the intent that one day we're going to be able to do that for production sites and that's actually going to be viable uh here's here's a funny thing i think when they put the spec into the browser there was the consideration like one day maybe we'll be able to do that like honestly i like i think when the when the spec writers wrote the spec they were like ideally we should be able to do this one day but like they weren't sure either um and the reality is uh i think many people have actually tested this like using native ES import in the browser. So the biggest problem for production is it always results in a huge network waterfall. Yeah. Because you have to parse the first file to be able to know what files it needs to fetch to be able to do that. Yeah. And you have to actually fetch the whole chain before you can actually execute the first module that started it all. Right. So, um, so if you don't have a super optimized server setup, to essentially preload and prefetch all the required modules up front, then it's not going to going to work very well. It's going to result in a huge network delay uh, before you can actually execute anything. Yeah. Um, so one theory you can solve that with is HTTP two with all the modules preloaded uh, with 
but that requires a rather complex setup. Like your build system essentially have to still cryograph statically and uh, collect all the meta information and then somehow put the resource hints into your page or uh, put the HTTP push stuff onto your server, right? So that increases a lot of uh, deployment complexity. And then um, even with all that, uh, some people have tested it. It's still slightly slower than a fully bundled approach. Yeah. So so as of now, like basically um, it's not really, really suitable for production at this point, right? Which is why not many people have actually sort of used it in any serious way yeah. until this point. But funny enough, it works rather well in development because you're on your local server, so there's literally no latency, yeah. right? And the network like request is somewhat trivial compared to, say, over the real network. Uh, so combined with the benefits that I talked about earlier, it actually is a pretty good uh, mechanism for loading files in uh, during development. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I've heard people say stuff like, and I think from you when reading about Vite, that the browser sort of spec for ES modules doesn't support bare imports, but I've never actually right. heard that terminology before. Like, what is a bare import? Uh, right, so in, in Webpack or in Bundlers, we're kind of used to like import foo from a module name. Like With import no something slash from, at the beginning right. or anything like that. Uh, just like yeah, exactly from like view, view or from, from React. View. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's um, so so the identifier. Uh, I think that's called a module import specifier. Okay. So that string you're importing from is called an import specifier. So the specifier in the spec it doesn't really say like it's it's not allowed, but. Um, but like when you do it without any like uh, a slash or a dot slash, uh, the browser will complain about it because it's the behavior is undefined in the browser version of it. So normally, if you do put like a dot slash or a slash, is that supposed to be obeying by like the same rules as any sort of relative path stuff does exactly. work on the web? So like, yep. yeah, okay. Yep. So any relative path will just work. Um, but if you like say import something from view, the browser will be like, "What is this? I don't understand." Mm-hmm. Right? So it's V's job to detect these kind of imports and rewrite them on the server side before sending it back to the browser. Yeah, convert it into something that the browser can understand. Yeah. So what are you doing in that case um, specifically? Like, what was your approach so, to? So we will rewrite a bear, uh, a module import like view into something like slash at modules slash view. So, so it's, it's like, like your a, own sort of unique kind of identifier yeah, namespace. A, yeah. It's a preserved path on the server, essentially. Yeah. So so that results in a different request. Um, that results in a request under slash at modules slash view to the server. And the server will recognize all of these types of requests and then find the corresponding file using the node uh, resolving algorithm and then send the contents back. Got it. So if you yeah. were to like look at the actual network tab when you load up a site that's being served uh, by Vite mm-hmm. and you were to look at the actual response for the first JavaScript file that came back and look at like the import statement at the top, you're going to see what you originally wrote in your text editor as import view from view. Yep. What's actually being sent back to the browser is import view from slash app module slash view. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And then you have yeah. some COA middleware that's basically checking if import or if path starts with add yep. modules, yep. find it this way. 
exactly. Uh, you mentioned a minute ago or a couple minutes ago that one of the hard problems is figuring out how to even import stuff from node modules or that that was something that you couldn't do with the original view dev server or something. Uh, is that related what, to this or is that? It's related. It's not really, it's hard to do. It's just uh, back then I didn't spend that much time on it. Yeah. Like I realized if I want to use this for anything real, I would have to support that. But back then it was just really a fast proof of concept. I was like, okay, I'll just leave it here. Because I have to work on Vue 3 <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Gotcha. When yeah. it comes to importing stuff that's like not JS files, do you have to do rewrites for that? So if I'm like importing a CSS file, do you send um, that back as like actually like import style.css or does it have to be like something that looks like a JS file to the browser? Uh, you don't have to rewrite the import. Uh, as long as it's a, it's a path, a valid URL path, the browser is okay with that. Then the mm -hmm. processing is done on the server side. So when you import a CSS file, what we send back has to be JavaScript. Yeah. So, but it's actually JavaScript that inserts that part of piece of CSS into the gotcha. into the document. So you yeah. just have like some simple uh, bit of imperative JavaScript in there or something. Yeah. It's like document. Yeah. Dot just like uh, get create. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, we have a little. So eventually, we extracted all the all of this into a shared like a client file. So when you run a Vite Dev server in during Dev, it implicitly has a client module that's included that handles all of these like hot module replacement logic, updating the CSS, inserting the CSS, and all that. So you have sort of a set of like helper functions that you can just assume exist that you can call basically for stuff like that. Well, it's internal, so the user would. We wouldn't really need to call of that. Yeah, yeah. The themselves. user doesn't, yeah. but the rewritten file that yeah. gets sent back is sort of assuming yeah, exactly. that like some of these functions are going to exist that I can call yeah. because well, there's like they, a client element. Yeah, they actually just import it as well. Okay. So we have a special file called slash vite client. So uh, so any sent back JavaScript can just import like update style, mm -hmm. which is a helper from yeah, yeah. slash vite, and it can use it. And is the browser really smart about like caching all that stuff? Yeah, so um, you have to handle that on the server as well. So um, there are two ways you can tackle this. Uh, what we're doing by default is all, everything sent back will have e tags. Uh, so the browser will know like if the e tags match. Uh, so so the server will say like if the e tags didn't change, the file didn't change. We'll just send back a response with three hundred four. Yep. So the browser will know, okay, like it didn't change, so we don't even need to request it again. Um, another more aggressive way of caching is just using a service worker during development to cache everything. And then uh, it becomes a bit more complicated because during development, you won't be, you don't want to force the user to reload the page every time the cache updates. So we have to like dynamically bust a cache during development, which is a bit more involved. Uh, which is why we didn't turn it on in, in by default because it can sometimes maybe it could result in a stale cache, which forces you to restart browser. So, but uh, like so far, it actually works for me. Uh, it's it's um the the good thing is it no longer needs to actually send the even send the request to the server, right? Yeah. So um to get a three hundred four, you still have to go around trip. Yeah, but exactly. Like, with a service worker, it's all local cache. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. With the server, I are there any benefits with the way that this stuff works to so using stuff like HTTP two since everything is like 
a waterfall approach anyway yeah so. I've, I've tried but like the, the main thing is getting http2 with https to work nicely on a local setup is just like a tad more complicated than the normal oh, HTTP http2 requires uh https um or? i think in my in my experiment so far i i wasn't able to get the http2 working over non-https gotcha. Gotcha. basically yeah gotcha so you mentioned that one of the, the you did like an all nighter to get like the hot module replacement yeah. stuff working. What did that actually involve? What were the challenges there? Uh, well, so the so the first, I guess, the challenge was um, no, no one has done it before. So funny enough, after I pulled the all nighter and got it working, then someone sent me a link on Twitter saying, "Hey, somebody already did this." And <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I looked into it. It was a it was interesting. Like it's kind of similar to what I did with some differences. Uh, it's a it, it's interesting. It's a project called Heist, or uh, it, it's the it's the German word for hot. Heist, yeah, H E I S S, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because like I honestly like, only found it out after I've I've done my version of it, and I was like, wow, this guy already did this like half a year ago or something. Uh, but but it's still cool though. Like um, I kind of like I read into his implementation. It's it's a bit more complex than the version that I did for Vite. Uh, but the core concept is the same because um, honestly, like I didn't even look into how Webpack did it. Like because it's so different. Like when you're doing hot module repl- replacement, assuming a bundle versus assuming native VS models, uh, you have to Essentially, when the file changes on the server, you send a notification to the client, and the client will need to re-import the same module under the same URL, but you need to force refetch it by appending some query parameters. Okay. Uh, and then you need to um, trigger appropriate updates on the client. So you have to provide a somewhat a, an API uh, on the client for client-side code to say, I'm interested in handling the hot update of this specific module. So when it changes, please notify me and I'll call this code. Uh, And this sort of, um, I guess the complex part, so the rudimentary version works rather easily, but the, the hard part is first figuring out the bubbling, right? So in hot module replacement, you have this like dependency graph where, where module A depends on module B. Yeah. But module B itself doesn't handle reloading. It's module A that that is able to reload itself. But in reality, when the user edits module B, it should propagate up to module A, and then module A should handle that update. Okay. So this is called uh, hot module replacement bubbling or propagation. Uh, So in order to do that, you have to like still kind of build a relationship, a dependency graph on the server as you rewrite these imports. So when you serve all these files, you are also building a graph as you serve them. And then when something in the graph changes, you need to do a graph analysis to figure out which is the file that, what we call a boundary. A boundary file is something that has indicated I am able to handle hot updates. Yeah. So you need to like crawl the graph until you reach a boundary and tell that boundary on the client to, hey, you can handle your stuff now. 
And how are those boundaries like defined? Like that's not something that users themselves are writing. Is it just something like that's built into V where it's like we handle hot module reloading on dot view files, for example, or so yeah. So view files are implicitly all always boundaries. Okay. Right? But user can define their own boundaries by calling hot.accept, similar to in Webpack. Okay. So uh, interesting enough, um, so the current version of Yeet, you, if you want to use the hot API, you import hot from slash Yeet slash HMR, right? So, uh, so there is another project called Snowpack, which uh, is quite similar to Yeet. It's also ES native ES module imported based, and they just recently were working on their HMR solution. So we kind of collaborated, and now we are trying to converge onto a common standard not really a standard yet, but like it's we're trying to like use a shared interface. So we're attaching the hot onto import.meta.hot. Mm-hmm. So when you do import.meta.hot and all the APIs are exposed on that, when you call hot.accept, that marks the current file a boundary. And you can accept yourself or you can accept one of the dependencies. Um, and there's there are some more bookkeeping to make sure you only re-import the files that are actually dirty without re-importing the whole graph, which would be inefficient. Yeah. Uh, so what does it look like to actually handle like a hot module replacement on the on the client? Like if you're accepting that responsibility mm-hmm. and defining yourself as a boundary, I can't even right. imagine what that even means. Like you receive like some updated version of the module, so how do you here, even tell what's changed mm-hmm. in it? Or? Right, right, right. <laughs> so here, here's an example, right? Let's say you are writing a hot module replacement for a CSS file. Okay. Uh, so the JavaScript, so the normal module that you would write is like you inline the CSS as a string, and I'm going to say document that had append a style tag with the CSS content. Yep. So then in the hot callback, you say import.meta.hot.accept, and accept hotback will receive the updated module as the, the argument. So you can then grab the updated CSS string from this module and say, remove my previous style tag and insert this new one with the updated CSS. Or you can just reuse the same style tag and just say update it's in your HTML with the new string. Yeah. So that one sounds easy, but if it's something yeah. like hot reloading like a view component where maybe like I've moved like a button from the left side of the component to the uh-huh. right side of the component or something. So that requires, um, that obviously requires a framework to have first first class handling for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you, the, the framework needs to be somewhat like hot, hot module replacement aware to be able to support this kind of stuff. Otherwise it can, all it can do is just say reload the whole application. Yeah. So, so you need is that to, like incredibly complicated in the view code base to handle that sort of not, thing? Like, not super complicated. Uh, you just need to have a first class concept of like, uh, mm, say when when a HMR enable component is created, it needs to register itself as being HMR available, and then when its corresponding file changes you find all the current active instances of that component and tell them update your render function and then re-render yourself. Got it. So as long as like yeah. internally, like any concepts of state and stuff are sort of separated and stored over here, separate from the rendering yeah. logic, then you can just yeah. replace the rendering logic, run the re-render without yeah. losing any of the previous there, state or anything. Yeah. 
The hot module replacement handling in frameworks is also kind of an interesting topic because, um, say, in, in the case of Vue, right, um, we load our render uh, template code and the main script part as separate modules. Mm -hmm. So that allows us to only re-import the template and re-render the component with the new render function. Uh, so the render function is pure, right? It doesn't have any side effects. That's why we can say, just re-render the template logic doesn't need to change because like we know only the template changed yeah um and if you edit the script part it's a bit more complicated because you could have side effects in your scripts like if you have like an unmounted hook which uh was was not present and then you added the hook the only way to for that to take effect is to actually reload the component and re-trigger all its life cycles yeah so that kind of forces us to actually reload this component but not uh, the whole page. Gotcha. Right. So in cases like that, yeah. you would reset the state, but that's just like yeah, that would lead to a reset unavoidable. Of state. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. One of the other problems I saw you talking about on Twitter was um, by doing everything with like the native browser import stuff. If you have a dependency that mm -hmm. has tons and tons of things yep. that it imports, that can Yep. lead to problems the example you gave yep. was like the the es version of lodash which yep. i think you said it pulls in like 600 files or something yeah. which triggers yep. like 600 network requests um can yep. you talk a little bit about like um maybe like what the threshold for that being actually a problem is and what you've been mm -hmm. doing to try and solve it mm -hmm. right so the the Real problem is because with http1 you have a like the browser has a maximum of like Chrome, I think, has like maximum of six parallel requests. So when you send all 600 requests together, you, you essentially trigger a network congestion where only six requests can be handled at one time. And just like kind of, it's like a traffic jam yeah. at the network level. Um, so one way we, we've been trying to deal with that is what we call a pre-bundling. So this is uh, very much similar to Snowpack v1. Uh, so interesting enough, like Snowpack v1 was only a sort of like a package dependency installation tool that, so when you install a node module from NPM, it will uh, use Rollup to actually pre-bundle them into a ES module. Okay. So, so that it can be directly loaded in the browser, right? Because a lot of these modules aren't necessarily uh, ESM compatible. So... Uh, so Vite uh, later on added a new feature called Vite Optimize, which is run automatically when you start the dev server. It will scan your dependencies uh, in your patch JSON and then check each one of them to see if they need to be optimized. So there are some criterias. Uh, for example, in the case of Lodash, right? So we will locate the entry file of Lodash and notice that it's not a... Uh, single file ESM. So what we call a single file ESM is something like Vue. We actually pre-bundle all our internal modules into a single file. It's still ESM, but all the things is already in the same file. Yeah. So a lot of packages like Lodash, they actually ship like individual ES modules that imports each other. So we will look at the entry file and see, oh, it actually imports a lot of other files. So this will not likely make the, the dev server really slow. So we'll need to optimize it ahead of time. So we will actually take modules like this and use Rollup to pre-bundle them into a single file. Now we essentially collapse all these 600 requests into a single request yeah. when you use them. 
And what are the heuristics for that? Like, is it if it imports anything, we pre-bundle it, or if it's if it imports more than five files, or? So right now, if we, if it's uh, if imports more than one thing, we'll just attempt to bundle it yeah. because like it it always will be able to save requests. Like yeah. the more requests you save, the better, right? Uh, the the actual um, the actual trade off or or the balance we need to achieve is like um, we don't want to you don't want to go like back webpack to, again yeah yeah exactly right yeah. so um, lucky enough because we're only doing this for dependencies right so we can actually so the heuristics is we actually look at your lock file your package JSON and your uh, vconfig we turn them all into a single hash and if the hash didn't change then it means we don't need to do anything. Uh, so if you say bumped your dependency version, which caused your lock file to change, it will actually Vt will notice that and say your dependency has changed. I'll need to rebundle your dependencies again. Oh, so but, are you saying that like even if I start the server, stop it, and then start it again, the second start might be faster because you've like yeah, cached everything yeah. to the file system? Yeah. Yeah. So as long as that hash is consistent, we can just skip this this step. Yeah. So essentially, you we only do this once every time you change your dependencies. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. So I, I think like that kind of covers all the stuff I want to talk about with Vite. I would be interested yeah. in talking a little bit more about Vite Press, though, since that's kind of mm-hmm. was the project that forced you off into this yak shaving yeah. experiment that you've been working yeah. on for the past couple of weeks now. So yeah. um, so what's Vite Press all about? How does it compare uh, to Vue Press? And, and what are sort of your visions for it? Right. Uh, so the first idea is obviously replace Webpack with something that's lighter and faster, uh, especially during the development, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I want the docs editing experience to be just like no overhead. Like I start the server, I start editing my file. Sure. I want to see it reflected instantly in the browser. I don't want to have to wait like five seconds every time I try to edit something. Um, the second thing is there are some, I mean, historical issues in ViewPress. Uh, that so it's uh, it's kind of uh, interesting because once I finished ViewPress, I kind of handed it off. Uh, so there's a team maintaining it. Uh, so the team is quite autonomous, which is cool. So they made a, added a lot of new features into ViewPress. Um, essentially, they're trying to make ViewPress into something that's more a general purpose static site generator. Um, so you can have like plugins, you can have a super uh, super detailed theme API and all that, but uh, as I was working on VPress, um, I realized like there are some assumptions that I cannot make based on the current VPress architecture. Like uh, one thing is like view, current VPress is so tightly coupled to Webpack and Vue two, um, it's it's just very, very impractical to try to port that over to Vs and, and Vue 3. So starting from the, the ground up, we can sort of, uh, there are some a lot of new assumptions we can make. First, like you're only working with Vue 3, you're only targeting modern browsers. Um, like, so that actually leaves out a lot of interesting stuff. Like, um, for example, we can code split based on using uh, dynamic imports instead of relying on Webpack, right? So when you code split with Webpack, one of the, the thing is Webpack needs to keep a manifest of all the code split chunks. And this manifest has to be loaded on your first page load uh, regardless which page you visit. And, 
And also in Vue in ViewPress, we're using Vue Router, which means we define a route in the source code for every page. So every time you add a page to ViewPress, it actually increases the bundle size for every page by uh, maybe like a couple hundred bytes, uh, maybe 100 to 200 bytes. So that's actually not small if you have like a site with like 100 pages, right? That's like 10 KB for just nothing, right? For every page. So, um, so one of the goals in, in VPress is to minimize that thing. So we don't want adding new pages to affect the bundle size of, of every single page. And the second thing is there are some new features in Vue 3 we want to leverage. Uh, for example, in Vue 3, we have a much, much more aggressive uh, static hoisting algorithm so that um, uh, one of the problem with ViewPress is if every MD file is actually compiled as a view template. So, and when you load that, we actually try to hydrate that page on a client. So there's a lot of waste in there because first, this content is mostly static, then, but we're shipping the equivalent JavaScript to the client. So if you have a page that's like 50 KBs long, you're also shipping 50 KB of JavaScript, which pretty much does nothing because it's static, right? And the hydration process is also wasted because you don't really need, you shouldn't really hydrate static content, right? So V3 pretty much solves all of that automatically. Um, Even if there's it, like a real view component kind of mixed into your yep, markdown yep, source? Yeah. So we maximally analyze the static parts inside your template tree and we'll skip hydration for any part that's static. So we only hydrate the parts that are actually dynamic. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because of that, uh, we can in VPress, because we know when a page is loaded, the content is always loaded. The content is not going to be dynamically toggled on and off. So that's an important assumption that allows us to say we can essentially drop all these static strings inside your JavaScript. Now, inside your JavaScript, there really only code left is the dynamic components you embedded in your page. And if you didn't embed anything dynamic, the whole render function is just an empty call. Yeah. That's right? pretty interesting. Cause that's a question I've yeah. always had about how a lot of kind of JavaScript based site generators work. Cause it's always seemed kind of wasteful yeah. to have to basically server render everything, send over yeah. all the content for like a, a yep. documentation article, and then also send all the same stuff in JavaScript uh, again. Yeah. Um, so this basically yeah. prevents you from having to do that because you have this yeah. assumption that that content is static. It'll yeah. never have to be like brought back if it got taken away and without so just what's navigating cooler, to the page. Yeah, what's cooler is, right, um, so the challenge is like when you load the first page, you can load what we call the lean version of the JavaScript, which strips away all the static content, mm -hmm. right? So, but when you do a subsequent navigation, say to another page, uh, that new page needs to use the full version, which, because if without those information, you wouldn't, act, wouldn't be actually able to mount that new page. Yes. Right? Because yeah. the new page is fetched as JavaScript. Yep. And, and then when you navigate back to the main page, the initial page that you landed on, right? theoretically, you would have to refetch everything because, uh, because the, uh, the initial chunk that you got for the, for the first landing page doesn't contain any static information. Yep. But the thing is, Vue's hydration algorithm actually will uh, adopt the static content each of these static nodes has matched on. 
and sort of basically take the information on the server render page and feed them back into the Vino structure and cache them. Mm. So when you navigate back to that page, you don't have to fetch the content from the server again because the initial chunk has essentially hydrated itself with the static content. Yeah. So you just reuse that initial lean chunk and it already contains all the static information it, it got from the first load. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So with VPress, is the plan for it to stay very like documentation site focused, like the original uh, kind of VPress? Uh, so here's the thing. It's actually fully capable of doing any sort of static site generation, but uh, it's um, the opinionated part is it's still focused on markdown first. So you organize your pages as markdowns, and then you can use the full view single page application sort of development to develop your own themes. So in development, your own develop your own theme is just like a normal view application. Uh, and the cool part is all of that is handled by Vite for free. So you can even use Vue.jsx or anything. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about that I think we, we probably should have talked about before, but I forgot, which was yeah. like the production deployment kind of side of things. So like mm-hmm. Vite, we've talked about how it works oh, as yeah. a dev server and stuff, but we, did, yep. we kind of just skipped over the whole, how do you actually build this for production? Right, so what right, does right, that look right. like? Uh, so for production, we use Rollup to as the bundler. Um, one thing is uh, the um, a lot of the things we do on the server side is actually very similar to Rollup plugins. Uh, there are actually some other projects I know that sort of try to blend uh, reuse Rollup plugins for both the dev server and the and the and the build. Okay. Uh, I think yes, dev server is is along that line, although it doesn't handle build by default, but it kind of uses Rollup plugin node resolve for resolving node dependencies. And then there's this thing that uh, um, uh, Jason Miller is working on. Uh, that's um, his, his new thing, which isn't even announced yet, but uh, from what he's leaked so far, it's like re- trying to reuse Rollup in the browser, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, but but for production we do use Rollup um, because it's uh, it's the Rollup is the bundler that is most, I guess, uh, ES module first. Yeah. Right? So Webpack has a lot of history burden from where it kind of started as a common JS bundler and then slowly added ES module import support. But Rollup was built from ground one with ES module first, and you can only handle common JS via a plugin. Um, the difference is uh, Rollup in general uh, has a more uh, cleaner and faster build uh, when you have mostly ES modules, and also it produces better tree shaking results in general. Mm-hmm. Especially you're targeting. Also, like Rollup allows you to target output directly output ES modules. Uh, like one of the big pain points we had with Webpack in the past is Webpack doesn't allow you to produce. To like take some ES modules and build them into another ES module, right? So Rollup allows us to do that because V targets modern browsers. So we directly output ES module files. We also um, uh, use dy- native dynamic import to do code splitting. So that gets rid of even more boilerplate. So it's yeah. I was actually curious about if the browsers supported dynamic imports. So I guess answer is yes. The answer is uh, most of the the Evergreen browsers already do, mm-hmm. and it's also polyfillable, so you can polyfill that uh, if you really want to support some older browsers. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So that's kind of the the whole story, I guess. Is there anything that you're working on for Veet um, that you you really want to like nail or get finished before you feel like it's ready to call it like a a 1.0 thing? Like, what's sort of left on your to do list? Um, right now, it's just uh, there are a lot of little bugs to iron out. People are always like, so so really, uh, we need to put it to some more rigorous tests. Like, we've already had some pretty challenging things, like. People trying to use Monaco Editor as a dependency, uh, like big libraries like Ent Design or like uh, Lodash RxJS. So make sure we can actually bundle these dependencies properly, uh, handle things seamlessly. And then another thing we haven't really yet tackled is uh, mono repo support, uh, because it, originally it was really built with the assumption that you're just building a single project. So um, Mono re- once we tackle monorepo, I think it's mostly feature ready. There are obviously small areas we can improve, like more uh, better error messages, maybe a, a development layout uh, overlay that gives you more uh, prominent error messages. Um, but oh, another thing is like we we want to migrate over to this uh, ES module hot module replacement spec that we worked on with web, oh, with Snowpack. So once we finish all of that, I think we can say it's close to 1.0. Maybe we'll just call it 1.0 beta. Um, and then um, we'll try to... <laughs> the funny thing is I've been trying to get this thing finished. Then I can finally finish VPress, and then I can use VPress to write that proper documentation for Vs itself. <laughs> and it's like a, it's a circle. And somewhere in there, we got to finish V3 probably at some point too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's cool though. Like uh, this whole process really kind of exposed a lot of interesting, validated a lot of ideas that I had about V3. Like especially the the smart hydration and yeah. like, you know, the reducing the double content payload thing and all that. Like I've had ideas, but like I need a working setup to actually get this thing validated. For sure. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, um, I think that's basically yeah. all I got. What's the best way for people to sort of keep up with your work on uh, Vite or to try it out if they want to play with it in these early stages? Uh, yeah, just keep an eye on the the repo. It's uh, currently vite.js slash vite. Yep. So we actually created its own organization. Nice. Uh, because it supports not only Vue, right? Uh, yeah. If you are a React user or you are a Preact user, try uh, npx create vite app dash dash template react or preact uh it'll just work uh it's actually uh, like in my opinion it's better than create react app because <laughs> it comes with react fast refresh out of the box what does it mean to specify like a template for it like is 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 it going to be hard to use Vite for just like arbitrary kind of browser-based javascript projects uh, you can use it without a template at all. Like the easiest way, just an index.html and a JavaScript file, and okay. then you import that JavaScript with script type equals module. So you, when when you use yeah. like the React template, that's not doing like anything secret under the hood. Uh, it just... it does it. So the only thing it does is really like first it lo- it uses a version of React that's actually ES module compatible. Okay. So the default React build, official build from Facebook, is like a weird common JS UMD kind of thing. It's it's a UMD build. 
So it's not really optimized for ES modules. Okay. So people in the community like uh, have actually created a version of React that mirrors the official one, but exports an ES module. Yeah. So we kind of alias that for you so that you don't have to figure it out yourself. The second thing is we add React fast refresh support um, so that you get the hot module replacement going. So that's the two things we do. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Evan Yu about Vite. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, be at fullstackradio.com slash 140. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show, and we'll see you next time.